And our New Testament reading today comes from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 16. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as in a foreign land, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without, without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, God has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, we continue our Word of the Week series, sermon series throughout the summer. We have been picking a word from the many that you all have suggested and preaching on that. The word, as you might understand, is faith. In our New Testament text today, the writer of Hebrews lifts up Abraham as an exemplar of faith, as one to whom we all should look, the one who shows us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The epistle writer refers to the Genesis passage that we have just heard. He remembers God's promise that Sarah and Abraham would have descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and for dramatic effect, the writer adds, as many as the grains of sand on the beach. We often remember Abraham as someone who possesses admirable faith, someone who lives and breathes by faith, someone who stands steadfast and strong and secure in his faith. At least this is how I remember hearing the story of Abraham and Sarah from when I was young. Sure, Abraham might have questioned God and Sarah might have laughed at God's promise that she would one day have a son, but ultimately, I always remembered the story as these two holding tightly to their faith through thick and thin. I remember them as people who believed in God and finally had a baby and then lived happily ever after. However, this is not how the story unfolds throughout Genesis. The New Testament scripture does lift up Abraham and Sarah, but it's not because a steadfast faith lets them live happily ever after. 
let us look more closely at these two people, at the lives that they actually lived, as told to us through the scriptures. First, Abraham receives God's command to travel forth from the tribal lands of his birth. He is told to leave behind his family and property to follow the one true God. He does, and this sets up several years of adventures in and out of Egypt, as well as other experiences that you can read about on your own. But Abraham and Sarah grow old and remain childless. They are trying to be faithful to God, but this childlessness is a devastating fact for a family in this time. Sarah would have been humiliated as a barren woman. Abraham would have been encouraged to dump her and go with a younger model or get a few more wives. Also, without a chosen heir, one's legacy remains insecure, especially in older age. No matter how much prosperity or land you might store up, unless you have offsprings who will continue to work the land and care for you as you age, your legacy and prosperity becomes as fleeting as crops that wither in a season. When Abraham cries out in our Genesis, Genesis text today, O Lord, what will you give me? You have given me no offspring. He is in despair. He is in pain. He is questioning his faith, doubting God's care for him, wondering if he and Sarah would ever have a child of their own. This is a moment of despair. God listens to Abraham and repeats the promise to bring forth from Abraham and Sarah a nation. God shows Abraham a sky of stars and says, this is what I will give to you. It is interesting that God gives no proof or persuasive argument, but God does clearly repeat the promise that has been said to them a few chapters earlier, that they will receive a family, a nation. We don't know what happens within Abraham in these few verses, but something about looking at this sky of stars and being in God's presence, something about this re-centers Abraham, and he begins to believe again. However, this isn't the end of the story. We don't always remember this, but some time must go by after hearing this promise. Sarah continues to not get pregnant, and Abraham continues to not have an heir. The promise which bloomed with such beauty in their hearts starts to shrivel up. Their faith, which was lit by the fire of so much hope of a child, starts to fade. Perhaps Sarah begins to wonder if Abraham misheard. Maybe Abraham misunderstood God's promise. Whatever reason, Sarah decides to take matters into her own hands, so she encourages Abraham to sleep with her slave girl, Hagar. Abraham does. Hagar gets pregnant and gives birth to a son named Ishmael. So Abraham has a son, but not through Sarah. It seems like the promise will come true through Hagar. This is a painful but honest reality that they feel like they must face. Perhaps they think they just got it wrong when God spoke. But then, one day, strangers come to their tent, 
Sarah makes these strangers food. Abraham offers them protection. And these strangers turn out to be messengers of God who deliver a promise that, yes, as absurd as it sounds, Sarah is going to have a baby. God promises that not only would Abraham have an heir, but it would not be through another wife or concubine or Hagar, but through Sarah herself, despite her age. What a promise, what a joy. Abraham and Sarah are stunned and delighted. Sarah does give birth, and they name the son, the chosen heir, Isaac, remembering that Sarah laughed. The word Isaac means he laughs. Sarah laughed when she heard God's promise. Things continue along, and it seems like all of their worries have subsided, all will be well, and that their faith is sturdy. And then again, one day, Isaac is playing with his older half-brother Ishmael, Hagar's son, and Sarah gets worried. She gets worried that despite what God has promised twice, maybe Ishmael, the firstborn, is really going to be the chosen heir, the offspring. She feels threatened. And so Sarah convinces Abraham to cast off Hagar and Ishmael, sending them off into the desert to die. Once more, Abraham and Sarah stop believing in God's promise and instead decide to take matters into their own hands. And so Abraham abandons his son and Hagar to the desert. The scripture tells us that God intervenes, that God cares even for this cast-off slave, that God shows up for Hagar and Ishmael, and Ishmael goes on to live a full life. And indeed, the religion of Islam traces its origins back to Abraham through Ishmael. Still, it's worth noting that once more, Abraham and Sarah made choices based out of fear rather than faith. Once more, when confronted with the facts around them and the hope of things not yet seen, they chose to abandon the hope and focus on the facts and take matters into their own hands. More adventures and stories unfold for Abraham and Sarah, too many to mention here. When Abraham and Sarah die, they are buried with honors in a cave. And the scriptures do tell us that Isaac does survive and grow, and from him comes Jacob, who has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Abraham is remembered as the patriarch of not one, but three major world religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. So, that's a bit of the fuller story. And as it might sound, it's not a story of steadfast and abiding faith. It's not a story of winners who end up on God's side once and for all and can claim bragging rights for the rest of their lives. Abraham and Sarah are two flawed people in a world where many things might cause them to fear. They live in a world where one's livelihood is unsure, where life is fragile, where babies don't always come as planned and healing doesn't always happen in time and possessions don't guarantee security or prosperity. Sarah and Abraham's faith is not a solid wall of unyielding stone built firmly on God's promises able to withstand the onslaught of life. Their faith instead looks more like a series of stepping stones, one after another, 
one faithful decision made after another. Sometimes they completely tumble off the stones, bruising themselves and others in their fall. Often they need to haul themselves back to their feet, dust themselves off, reorient themselves towards faith and God's plan once again. Still, we can see in the scripture over and over again that Abraham and Sarah keep trying to move forward, keep trying to follow God step by step, stone by stone, faithful decision by faithful decision. We often get the wrong picture of what faith is, of how faithful people should live their lives. We can think of faith as something you have or you don't have, something that is permanent and fixed. But this isn't a helpful understanding of faith. The pastor and writer Martin Copenhaver writes about our misconceptions of faith by pointing out that some of our confusion about the nature of faith can be attributed to a quirk in the English language. The English language is the only European language that does not have a verb of form of the word faith. In English, we cannot say, I faith, you faith, and he or she faiths. Since in English there is no verb form of the word faith, we must choose between two options, and both options can mislead us about the nature of faith. The first verb option is that we settle for I believe, but that blurs the distinction between faith and belief, a distinction that should be retained. The second option is to use faith as a noun. We can say, for instance, I have faith. But if we do that, we have implied that faith is something we possess, that it is a possession like we would say about having a pen or a nose or whatever. It is a way of using language that implies a certain permanence or certainty. You either have it or you do not have it. Faith, however, is not a possession. It is a capacity, a capacity for trust that is not nearly as permanent. Our faith is stronger on some days than it is on other days. We can live out our faith more completely at some times than at other times. He goes on to write, faith properly understood is a verb. Faith is something that we do. And if language would allow, we would say something like this, I faith sometimes. I wish I could faith more often. In fact, I'm working towards faithing in God in all that I do. This may be grammatically painful, but it is theologically correct. Faith is not something we have with certainty once and for all, at all times, under all circumstances. Rather, it is something we do, sometimes more easily than others, sometimes more completely than at other times. We are all capable of acting faithfully, but none of us is faithful always. We can see Copenhaver's point play out in many ways in our language, particularly in plays out in how we talk about losing faith, as if we once owned it, and then we lost it, and then we're one day hoping to buy it or find it again. We could say that Abraham and Sarah lost faith many times in their life, or we could say at times they faithed well, and at times they stopped faithing. This is an honest account of their lives. If we read the scripture closely, Abraham and Sarah do not always act in faith. However, despite this, 
despite how they might have stumbled, they are not written off or cast off by God. God does not deride them as faithless people. And so if God has not written them off, neither should we. Even if Abraham and Sarah acted unkindly, unfaithfully at times, we can still read about the trajectory of their life and we can still see two people who tried to take the next step of faith, who tried to live into hope. We can see two people who tried to take a brave step towards what the writer of Hebrews describes, a land, a city that God has made, a foundation which God has laid without any help from us. I wonder if you've ever felt blinded, stumbling around, unable to believe, unable to find the faith you thought you held so securely. I wonder if you, like Abraham, have ever cried out for a proof of God's promise. I wonder if you've struggled with the next right thing to do, the next best decision, the next step of faith. If so, you are certainly not alone. And that is what the writer of Hebrews reminds us. The Hebrews passage goes on to list a whole parade of biblical characters who might not always be model citizens, but who are testaments of faith. Abraham and Moses, Jacob and Rahab are all named as people who lived faithfully at times, people who, even though they stumbled and fell, still figured out how to get back on their feet, reorient themselves towards God's plan and purpose, and take another step of faith. Perhaps it would be most effective to end this sermon about faith with a series of points about why you should faith in God, why you should never worry or despair or stop faithing. But I cannot do that. After all, in story after story in the Bible, we can see that God doesn't work in persuasive arguments or data points or proof texts. In story after story, we can see that more surprisingly, more profoundly, God reveals God's truth through intimate relationships, through connections and community, through revelation that breaks into our lives and shocks us with glimmers of light and hope, even when our doors are locked and the blinds closed shut. So I cannot end this sermon with a series of persuasive talking points about why you should live with faith. Instead, I must finish this sermon by asking, have you ever stopped believing in God, stopped faithing for a while? Well, then you are not alone. Have you ever stumbled and fallen flat on your face when trying to live a life of love and grace? You are not alone. Have you ever grown weary of promises and dreams and just wanted to quit life and eat ice cream in bed for the rest of the day? You are not alone. Have you ever longed for a city, the world we've been promised in the scriptures, yearned for a land of peace and prosperity? You're not alone. Have you ever lifted your eyes to the stars and found your breath taken away? Have you ever let all the questions and emotions of your heart bubble over into a song or prayer which you shouted at the sky? Then have you ever hauled yourself back to your feet, dusted yourself off, and taken just one more step of faith? You are not alone. 
And have you ever decided to give this thing called faith, this thing called Jesus, this thing called the church, just one more shot? You are not alone. Faithing is hard. And the scriptures remind us that it has never been easy. Still, we remember that despite our constant attempts to strike out on our own, despite all our ridiculous efforts like Abraham and Sarah to take matters into our own hands, God doesn't leave us. God doesn't stop faithing in those two crazy kids, and God doesn't stop faithing in us. Faith is hard. God knows faith is hard. God knows faith is hard. Nevertheless, by the power of the Spirit, by the love of Christ, we are not abandoned. We are never left alone. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. As disciples of Jesus, help us to live into faith and hope and love today and in the weeks to come. In your holy name we pray. Amen.